the 2001 New England Patriots, the team that started an NFL dynasty. In a season full of dramatic twists and turns on and off the field, the upstart Pats shocked the world, redefining what it meant to be a team and a Patriot. 20 years and six Super Bowl championships later, we're revisiting that historic season, hearing from different perspectives that were there to witness it firsthand and tell the tale. From players to coaches, local and national media, and even some fans, mixed with some of the most iconic sounds that define the season, it will be a unique six-part journey back as we follow the roots of the Patriots dynasty to the one championship that started it all. We are all Patriots, and tonight the Patriots are world champions. I'm Mike Dussault, and this is 2001, a Super Bowl sound odyssey. Episode 4, The Snow Bowl. So Gino, what a remarkable turnaround for this team, huh? Absolutely fantastic. It really is, and to see... uh, the response that uh, they're getting from all fans in New England as well, you know, to really be so supportive and uh, getting behind this team. But it was nice to watch the uh, chemistry develop. You know, you can't force chemistry. And so they complete the remarkable turnaround from 5-11 and in last to 11-5 and in first in the AFC East. With a final score, the AFC Eastern Division champion New England Patriots 38, the Carolina Panthers 6. That is it from Charlotte, North Carolina. After completing a surprising 11-5 season with six straight wins in their first AFC title in four years, the 2001 Patriots entered the playoffs by hosting the Oakland Raiders in the divisional round. The autumn wind is a raider, pillaging just for fun. He'll knock you round and upside down and laugh when he's conquered and won. The Raiders started the year 10-3, but lost three straight games to end the season and were forced to play the Jets in the wildcard round pulling out a 38-24 win that would send them across the country to Foxborough. Tim Brown, Jerry Rice, Rich Gannon. Well, the last thing they wanted to do was have to play a game this week when they had the bye week secure, but at least right now their season will go on. And the Raiders will go to New England next week to take on the Patriots on Saturday night. The Raiders had reached the AFC Championship game in 2000 and had a veteran team led by quarterback Rich Gannon, balanced running back Charlie Garner, and a pair of Hall of Fame receivers in Jerry Rice and Tim Brown, both of whom broke 1,100 receiving yards on the season. I'm just like a little kid. I'm still having fun, you know. Uh, When when everything is on the line, uh, you know, I want the ball. Tim Brown, you know, he feels the same way. And I think we uh, just go out there and, and we play hard and we try to make plays. With head coach John Gruden at the helm, the Raiders were looking to end the upstart Pats season in what would be the final game ever to be played at the stadium New England had called home since 1971. After 41 years of loyal support, including seven consecutive sellout seasons, there is a new symbol of success on the horizon in New England, and the Patriots look forward to making the plays that will thrill the crowd that calls it home. Nick Fitzy Stevens, Patriots fan and personality. The idea that the Patriots could be playing a Saturday night home playoff game on my birthday against the Raiders. This was every, I wanted nothing else. Well, the snow began about four this afternoon, but the tailgating began at about two o'clock and the fans are as ready as anyone for this matchup tonight. Scott Pioli, Patriots Director of Player Personnel. I felt that, you know, we had built the team intentionally a certain way. And personally, I felt good going into that game. I thought the Raiders were a fantastic team. I mean, I, I really did. They were talented. They were good. They had a really good quarterback. It was playing well. But I also knew that, again, we were built for what that day was like. We were not a fast team at that point in time. We were a tough team that ran the ball, ran the ball hard. And we had a quarterback. You know, it, it's funny. I know for a, a long time or, you know, early in Tommy's career, People criticized his short passing game. And when I hear the words dink and dunk, it makes me crazy because people with a negative perspective call it dink and dunk. We saw them as high percentage throws. And we had a a, a number of players um, that, you know, whether it was Troy in the slot or our backs um, that were very good in the passing game. And those high percentage throws were the kinds of throws that we needed in that Oakland game, right? With the weather being the way it was. And with Jermaine Wiggins, who had sure hands, I felt like I felt confident going into that game because the 
The weather helped slow the game down. Bill, just your second game in 27 days. How big of an advantage is that with the rest, given the conditions of the field? Well, I don't know. I, you know, I think we've uh, tried to take advantage of the time we've had, and uh, you know, I think we're ready to go tonight. The field, I think the footing is going to be a little bit of an issue, and I think that catching the ball is going to be a little bit of an issue with the flakes. I don't think the quarterbacks will have a problem throwing it. At least it didn't look like they did pregame. Tom E. Curran, Metro West Daily News. To me, that was going to be their biggest challenge because of, in many ways, I thought Charlie Garner and Rich Gannon and Jerry Rice and Tim Brown. I mean, the friggin' offense was loaded. You have to understand how good Charlie Garner was at that time. Um... So even though it was snowing and you're driving up and saying this could be an equalizer, in some ways, I knew that the Oakland Raiders were probably going, could well be their toughest test just because they were so stacked. What does it say about your football team? We got some good players. We have a long way to go yet. We got to win on the East time zone. We got to win in any time zone. The Raiders front office felt confident in how their team was built, with legendary owner Al Davis constructing the kind of speed-laden squad he'd become known for. Davis's staff featured a former colleague of Belichick and Pioli's, Michael Lombardi, who worked side-by-side -side with them in Cleveland and was now serving as Oakland's vice president of player personnel. Executive Amy Trask was one of Davis's most trusted confidants who had interviewed Belichick for the Raiders' open head coaching position just three years prior. Amy Trask, Raiders' chief executive. I spent almost 30 years as part of the Raider organization, and in that time, Al involved me only once on only one occasion in a coaching search. He had me meet with each of the candidates, spend as much time with each of the candidates as I chose to spend, ask them anything I wished. And then when I had done so, when I had met with each and every candidate, he asked me, who would you hire? And I didn't hesitate. My immediate answer was Bill Belichick. I was clear, I was unequivocal. Bill Belichick was my choice. What stood out about Belichick as a candidate? Well, let me put it in Boston terms. Wicked smart, just extremely, extremely intelligent, a tremendous communicator. Um, he struck me as communicative, collaborative, and, and just extraordinarily intelligent, and I thought he would be a tremendous leader. Now, I thought the fact that I recommended Bill would stay between Al and I, and no one would ever know that. Well, a number of years later at a press conference, Al said publicly, you know, Amy told me to hire Bill. And I was so touched when Al shared that publicly. Privately, even before he shared that publicly, and well after he did so, he would periodically say to me, kid, you know how to pick a coach. And I, I really enjoyed that. Despite coming from sunny California, snow was on the mind of both Lombardi and Trask. The time, 8.03, the temperature, 25 and snowing. In fact, a beautiful New England snowfall we have here tonight at Foxborough. Michael Lombardi, Oakland Raiders senior personnel executive. Well, you know, I mean, I, we knew it was going to be bad. We were prepared for it. Uh, we felt like with our running game, we could run the ball. We always worry about quarterbacks in that kind of weather and, you know, and, and, and how they handled it. But Rich had been a cold weather quarterback. So I think... The one thing I thought it would be would, would help us, our defense wasn't the fastest defense, and I think it helped us slow it down. Overall, these conditions are going to present a lot of problems in tonight's game, but you got to believe that they're going to even out some way along the line. Rob Ryan, linebackers coach. Mr. Kraft probably had the play of the game. Uh, what? Yeah, remember he moved the game to the late. He chose the late night game because he saw the forecast. All right, we're tracking that storm, and it looks like we're going to get a lot of snow in some parts, Chris. Some areas will likely end up around a foot, maybe a foot and a half. You can see a high impact when it comes to heavy snow, whiteout conditions. All right, and it was going to be heavy snow at night. All right, we'll play at night. People, the people forget about that. So that was Mr. Kraft's doing. That was great, great on his part. On our part, you know, we're like, well, look, we got to reroute these receivers. We got to bounce right L's off them. But when the snow came down, they had a really great back, Charlie Garner. Charlie Garner outside as cool as the other side of the pillow. 80 yards to the house. Well, he was slowed. His option routes weren't, you know, he'd be falling on his face half the time. So we matched up pretty good there. And we were physical. We had physical guys. They had a, physical, a big offensive line. Well, you talk about this Raiders offensive line, they protect the quarterback very well, and they're strong enough to do a good job in the run game, too. But first, the biggest challenge for the Patriots players was just getting to the stadium. 
Antoine Smith, running back. First of all, it was, I think everybody caught trouble trying to get to the stadium because before the game started, because it was so much snow falling, it was so, you know, so much, you know, traffic trying to get to that game. And, and we know what the Raiders bring, you know, the, you know what I'm saying, we, we know what they had, we know they was a very good team. And, but we also know the team that we had. Get this one. I promise that. David Patton, wide receiver. We felt like we had the advantage. We had the edge because worst case scenario, this is what we're accustomed to. This is what we used to, we, we, we practice in this all the time. And, and these guys are coming out of uh, Oakland, California, you know, sunny days. We just felt like that was an advantage for us. They were wishing for everything. They wish for us stay. They wish for us to be cold. It's one thing they didn't wish for. They didn't wish for the Raiders. Damian Woody, offensive lineman. I knew there was going to be some type of weather, but I didn't know it was going to be anything close to that. And so, you know, it, it, it just, it all just seems like it, it came out of a fairy tale, you know, where, where you got this Oakland Raiders team that was just, I mean, they, they were legit. They were, that was a legit ball club coming to Foxborough. You know, I don't think anyone really gave us a chance of beating the Oakland Raiders um, in that, in that game. And, but boy, did the, you know, you start the, the snow started coming down lightly and then next thing you know, it just started building and building and building to the point where, like, it was coming down sideways. And I'm like, okay, these type of things don't happen just to happen. And the folks who are here tonight are hearty souls indeed. With the snow coming down, and it's <laughs> it's a cold night, temperature 25 degrees. Like, you know, this is kind of like a magical experience. And uh, the whole field was covered. It was probably the most fun I had in the game ever. Snow-covered field. Bear with us on placement of the ball because it isn't going to be easy. Matt Chatham, linebacker and special teamer. So in our situation, you, you don't have great footing under you. Uh, maybe you're a little more adept about weather than, than a team coming out from California. And I think we did take that to our advantage. Um, but I still have to tackle Charles Woodson in space, which is scary, <laughs> to say the least. It's scary on dry ground. It's even scarier on uh, on that kind of surface. But did manage to get him down. I had a couple tackles, I believe, my best of my recollection. But definitely remember sort of the relief at one moment of having a punt with him out in space and just sort of grabbing him and pulling him down. And you kind of you stand up and you're like, whew. <laughs> you know, it's more like relief than, than sort of uh, celebration. A familiar face, especially for Bostonians, who performed the national anthem before the game. Boston's Joey McIntyre. Joey McIntyre of New Kids on the Block a passionate Patriots fan who would go on to have one of the most memorable fan experiences of his life. Joey McIntyre, New Kids on the Block. It was sort of like, at this point, you know, the new kids, you know, today in 2021, you know, the new kids on the block are back together, so we're touring a lot. This was sort of in between in 2001, uh, but my calling card was singing the national anthem. You know, if, if I didn't have tickets to the game, you know, I'd have someone make a call and say, you got someone to sing the national anthem? And uh, it was a great way to get on the field, you know. And, you know, so that's kind of what happened with this game. You get tickets to the game and there you are uh, on the sidelines for the, for the Patriots. Good evening once again, everyone. The Patriots will be kicking off from left to right. Patriots in their blue home jerseys, silver helmets and pants. And the Oakland Raiders in their white traveling jerseys with the gray, uh, silver-gray helmets and pants. Back deep for the Oakland Raiders at the five-yard line is Terry Kirby, and the Patriots will be kicking off left to right with the wind here in the first quarter. It was an uneventful game for most of the first quarter, with both teams struggling to move the ball through three possessions until the Raiders finally broke through early in the second quarter. Malone running back is Garner. Second and 10, Oakland at the Patriot 13. Gannon calling signal. Gannon drops back to throw. Sets, looks, fires, and it is caught. Touchdown to James Jett. With three passes of 10-plus yards, Gannon found James Jett for a 13-yard score and the 7-0 lead. Gannon looking for the end zone. Has a man. Touchdown. James Jett. Which Gannon to James Jett. James Jett caught two passes for 19 yards and no touchdown during the regular season. Comes up with a 13-yard TD here. From there, the struggle would continue through worsening conditions, with the two teams combining for just two first downs through their remaining possessions in the second quarter. 
In all, there were 11 first-half punts and just one third-down conversion for either team. Good defensive stand. Things are picking up a little bit now for the Patriots defensively, which I think they have to do. The Patriots' defense forced a three-and-out after the only turnover of the half, an intercepted overthrow by Brady. Second down and 10 Patriots at their own 25. Brady awaiting the snap from Mike Compton's on the money. Pump fakes, now looks, now goes deep down the middle and is intercepted. Picked off by Johnny Harris. He's at the 40-yard line to the 35-yard line of the Patriots. Goes Harris. The slow first half was inspiration for Joey McIntyre to upgrade his post-anthem seats in the press box. Joey McIntyre. You know, so we watched the first game, uh, the first half of the game, up at the press box, and it's uh, pretty slow game, tight game. And my brother, who has a history of, you know, kind of pushing the envelope, you know, where I'm like, this is fine. We're not going anywhere. We got into the game. Yeah, but let's go up here. Oh, let's go there. Let's go down there. So there we are. My brother and I, for the whole second half, are on the Raiders' sidelines. And it is surreal. I mean, it's more and more snow. It, it, it felt like at least a foot of snow on the ground. You know, the Raiders, you know, they look so big. I mean, these players are huge. They're 6'7", plus helmets, plus pads. You know, and we're just in the back behind behind them, you know, behind the Gatorade stands, if you will. And we're just taking it all in. And we're walking down, following the play, up and down. Um, it's getting, you know, you know when it snows and it's it it's almost makes it quieter. It, it, it makes it more surreal. Like you're in this like dome, you're in this like snow globe, if you will. The Patriots would receive the second half kickoff and Brady and the offense would finally get into a rhythm, powered by an 18-yard throw-and-catch to David Patton on third and eight that set them up inside the Raiders' 10-yard line. Third down and eight. Brady takes the shotgun snap. Stands in the pocket. Stands in there. Stands in there. Now delivers downfield. Caught inside the 10-yard line. First and goal to go. David Patton. However, the Pats would have to settle for a field goal cutting the score to 7-3. With Ken Walter to hold, the angle is to the left for Adam Vinatieri, and of course the footing is tricky. Vinatieri was practicing a much shorter run-up to the ball prior to the game. 23-yard field goal attempt for Vinatieri. Snap, ball down, the kick is up, and the kick is good. The Raiders would counter with back-to-back -back field goal drives of their own, extending the lead to 13-3 at the start of the fourth quarter. First and 10 Patriots at the Oakland Raiders 35-yard line as we start the fourth and final quarter of this AFC semifinal battle. Raiders lead 13-3. Patriots with the football on the far hash mark. They'll go left to right in this fourth quarter with a wind at their backs. Paul Perillo, Patriots Football Weekly. I'll admit, I, I, there were times I thought the game was over. I thought the Raiders had it. I really think the Raiders, you know, as seemed to happen a lot that year, the Raiders really found a way to lose. Um, and you give Brady a chance, and he's going to find a way. You know, he couldn't do much in the snow, but when he had to do something, he found a way, and they went down, they scored that touchdown, and he ran it in. Steps up. Going to run it. Inside the five. Touchdown. After trading punts, Tom Brady caught fire with just over 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, leading the Patriots' offense down the field, completing nine straight passes, before running the ball in himself to cap the drive for the Patriots' first and only touchdown of the game, cutting the Raider lead to just three points. The snap to Brady. Looks, stands, starts to run with it. He is down to the five, and he's in! Touchdown! Tom Brady runs in for a touchdown with 7.52 to play in the football game. And the Patriots are back in it. With just under eight minutes to go, the clock became the concern as the Raiders bled an additional four-plus minutes on their ensuing drive, though the Patriots were able to force the punt and maintain the one-score game. Third down and ten, Oakland, the play of the game coming from the Patriot 45-yard line. Backs are split behind Gannon on third and ten. Gannon long count. Gannon still barking signals. Drops back to throw. Being chased. Looks. Fires incomplete. Fourth down. Good. Raiders forced the punt with 3.48 to play. With New England's offense unable to recapture the magic of their previous drive, they too would be forced to punt the ball away, with the Raiders taking over on their own 35. With just 2.49 left, Oakland was one first down away from icing a three-point win. Rob Ryan. Uh, but it was going to come down to us in the trenches. And one thing that, uh, again, everybody remembers the tuck rule but here's one that people may not remember is they're running out the clock in a four-minute offense, and they rip us for about seven yards on the first on the first run. Garner 
stacked up, reverses direction, and gets a bunch of yardage. Comes up about two yards shy of a first down. And, you know, I'm like, well, why don't we just put goal line out there? Michael Lombardi. You know, we had a run that we called. Charlie Gardner, you know, breaks out into the open. And, uh, you know, we... <laughs> If he goes right, he scores. If he goes left, he probably gets the first down. He goes right up John Ritchie's back, and, you know, we don't get the first down. Rob Ryan. And Ernie Adams told Bill, he's like, look, well, it's a good point, Rob. Why don't, why don't, was just said, why don't we put goal line out there? So we did. Stopped them the first time. Garner looking for a first down appears to have come up short of it. Pat's defense would hold Garner to just two yards on second down setting up a third-and-one situation for the game. Patriots obviously have to get the football back. And this big third-down play is going to be the play of the season. Then we ran goal line out, which is a, a great call by Romeo, where our, our, our D lineman's in a 6-2, but they pinch out, they, they uh, go outside and force the ball to cut back. Well, Richard Seymour beat the guard across his face so deep the Raiders had never been stopped in short yardage up until that with Zach Crockett, you know, running the dive play every single time for a first down. But then Seymour hit him so deep, then B. Cox finished him off. The tailback in the I formation is the handoff to the right side. He doesn't make it. That was Zach Crockett stopped shy of a first down. And uh, and that's that's how we stopped him, just to get in to the chance to go uh to beat him. They'll be bringing out the chains. The clock is stopped with 2.19 remaining. They'll hang on. 13 to 10, Oakland leads. 2.19 left to play in the game. Critical measurement here. Fourth down. Oakland forced the punt. With renewed life, Troy Brown would return the ensuing punt for 27 yards, narrowly avoiding a game-ending mistake when Brown fumbled at the end of the return, with Larry Izzo making the recovery and preserving New England's comeback hopes. And now Patriots have the football. Oof. First and 10 Patriots at their own 46-yard line. Tom Brady and the offense took the field with 2.06 left at their own 46, needing a field goal to tie the game. But three plays later, it looked like the contest was coming to an abrupt end. Snow continues to come down. Brady calling signals. The direct snap to Brady. Standing in there. Looks to the left, loses the football. It's on the ground, and let's see if it's a fumble or a pass attempt. I believe it's going to be called a fumble. It is. A fumble, and the Oakland Raiders recover. Nick Fitzy Stevens. And then they're, they're driving at the end of the game to try to tie the game. And Brady steps back, and he pumps, and he pumps, and he holds on to the ball. And we can all see Charles Woodson coming around. And at one moment, I'm like, wait, this is he's going to get him. No, this is going to be the end of the game. Charles Woodson's going to screw up my birthday. No! I mean, it's a fumble. That's it. Game over. Game over, man. Game over. With a minute and 43 to go, it did look as though his arm was moving forward. And I don't know if um, this one will be looked at once again. As we look at it, Brady's arm was coming forward. Yeah, they're going to have to call it from upstairs. Joey McIntyre. I didn't know what was going on. Because, again, I'm, I'm on the sidelines. I'm looking at the screens. You don't really know what happened. What's going on? Did he fumble? Did he not fumble? You know, you're watching it on TV at home, you, you, you're getting the blow-by-blow. Blow. It's great. A lot of people say, I'd rather watch it on TV. But, like, you're also not getting the experience of being there. Jermaine Wiggins, tight end. I was like most people, like, man, we just lost this game. And I was so close. I was one step being away from recovering the football, but Greg Beaker beat me to the spot, and he landed on him. If you see the video, he jumps on the ball, and then I jump on him like a half a second later. So. And Beaker picks himself up, falls on the football, and has pretty much sealed an Oakland Raider victory here in New England. Michael Lombardi. Was in the press box, and as soon as it happened, Art McDowley was sitting uh, in front of me, and he said, uh, that's not that's not going to stand. It's going to be the tuck call. And that was the first I ever heard of it. The exact term I can't think of, but if you throw a pass, and as you're faking that pass, now watch, as you're faking the pass, if it slipped out of your hand, that would be an incomplete pass. Amy Trask. So there we were, um, front office staff. I was there. Our CFO was there. There were some other executives there. My husband made that trip with us, and we were sitting in this little area of the press box. And, of course, you guys know the rule. No cheering in the press box. So when Woodson knocked that ball out of Brady's hands and Beekert fell on it, 
I remember reaching over and, um, you know, our CFO grabbed my arm and squeezed and I grabbed his arm and squeezed and my husband was grabbing another executive. And then all of a sudden, I realized they're going to review this play. I think they're going to review this play. Play in Germany if it is a fumble. All right. So Walt Coleman... Our referee will review the play. Got the call from upstairs. And I turned around, and sitting behind me was Art McNally, who was then the um, director of officiating. He was the senior most, um, I, I guess his title was director of officiating or some such thing. And I turned around to him. And guys, I don't have a dainty voice in any circumstance. You know, I have a loud voice. And particularly um, when I'm head up, and I turned around to him and I looked at him and I said, you better call 911 because if you overturn this effing, but I didn't say effing, I said the word. If you overturn this effing call, I'm going to have an effing stroke. And again, I didn't say effing, I said the word. Apparently that carried throughout the press box. And to this day, the writers that were in the box at the time tease me about me blast, you know, just blasting that out in the press box. Damian Woody. Well, well, you know, like anyone who watches the video, like I'm the person that jumps on top. I believe it was Greg Beaker who recovered the fumble. Um, I was the one that jumped on top of him. Um, and honestly, I thought the game was over. I honestly thought the game was over. But as I'm walking off the field, there's all this commotion on the sideline. And I'm looking at the coaches. I'm looking at Coach Belichick, and there's all these whispers. After reviewing the play, the quarterback's arm was going forward. It is an All right. Patriots retain the ball. And in that very moment, I, I look over to the Oakland Raiders sideline, and their whole sideline was just, it was like the life had, had left out of them. And I, I knew at that, po- at that point, we got them right then and there. Jermaine Wiggins. That's the great thing about Bill as a coach. Like he prepares you for every possible situation that you could get in. And so that was something that he knew knew exactly what that meant. He knew exactly it happened to us uh, uh, earlier in the season. Castaverde throws the ball down. And was that intercepted with a lineman on the ground? How could that happen? And they're going to review it. Oh, they've got to take a look at this. The quarterback's arm was coming forward before he was hit and the ball was out. Therefore, it's an incomplete pass. So he was right on top of that. And, and you know, that obviously, you know, Raiders fans will tell you differently. But that was the rule. You know, the rule was what it was. You know, I mean, we I don't make the rules. I just buy, abide by them. Matt Chatham. You know, like a lot of things with Bill, there's the foresight. There's there's a lot of research behind it. You know, he knew as well as anyone what may, may happen in that moment. But, yeah, in, in fairness, we're, we're all on the sideline watching it happen in lifetime and we're a little confused about how it's going to go down so yeah you ride the roller coaster like are we going to get that are we not going to get that patriots take the football back on the review well his arm was going forward no question about it i said the only thing that they could possibly pick up would be that he was just pulling it back under amy trask and the longer it went the longer it went um i was worried and then of course the call was overturned and i will very quickly note that i understand we still had opportunities to win that game. The game was not over at that moment. But when I looked down at our sideline and I saw the expression on our sick players' faces, I knew that their hearts, or I should say, it, I knew that they felt that their hearts had been ripped out, just as I felt that my heart had been ripped out. And I looked at my husband and said, I don't know if we can do this because I just looked at the expression on their faces and I knew that the expression on their faces mirrored the expression that must be on my face. And it really was just so, um, it was just devastating. That's a better word. So did we have an opportunity to go on and win the game? Yes, we did. And people are quick to point that out to me and they're right. But we didn't. Mike Reese, Metro West Daily News. So I wasn't there. I was splitting the beat with Tom Curran. So because it was Saturday night, I had to put out our Sunday paper, which is our big paper of the week. So I was actually the editor in charge of the Sunday sports. So we're waiting on this game to end. And so I'm watching it from the newsroom, you know, at the newspaper. And 
I'm seeing it like like all the other fans, you know, and you're thinking it's over. So I get the headline written. I mean, this is like um, Dewey defeats Truman, but the Patriots version in the Metro West Daily News. Like, I got it, you know. Patriots dream run comes to an end. Well, glad we didn't do that, Mike. Glad we didn't send out that paper, you know. Kept it, kept it on draft. After review, the tuck rule was invoked, giving the Patriots a second chance. But it wasn't the first time a controversial call in the playoffs between these two teams affected the outcome. Chris Berman, ESPN. So in 1976, the Patriots had a great team, and it's one that still is questioned on uh, the phantom roughing the passer call in the playoffs at Oakland against Sugar Bear Hamilton against Ken Stabler. That was one of the few times the Raiders got breaks from the ref. Third down and 18, 19 for Oakland at the Patriots, 28. Stabler is back to pass. Here comes the rush again. He gets it away, and it is it ball is incomplete at the five-yard line. A penalty marker is down. A penalty what? marker is down. I don't know if the Patriots are going to be called for roughing the passer or what, as they swarmed in on Stabler, but a flag is down. And Ray Hamilton is throwing his arms oh, in the no. air, roughing the passer. First down, Oakland with 52 seconds left. This was huge, and the Raiders went down the field and ended up uh, scoring at the very end to beat the Patriots, who were real upstarts that year and really talented. And the Raiders went on to win their first Super Bowl. They used that break, and they went on to win their first Super Bowl. And uh, Willie Brown, Hall of Famer, was on the staff, and I saw him every summer, and we were friendly at, at Canton. I'm fortunate enough to be the MC at Canton in August. And I went, Willie, come here. I went, yeah, the tuck game and all. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, that still burns us, et cetera. I said, well, let's look back to 76. You guys got a break, and you took it to the house. 25 years later, the Patriots got an unbelievable break with the tuck rule. There's no other way to describe it, right? And give them credit, they took it to the house. And he looked at me, he goes, I never thought of that. I said, so look at it this way. Your two franchises are now even. And he laughed. He went, okay, I'll take that. Amy Trask. Now, I will note one other thing. That play happened just, just inside the two-minute warning. And the significance of that is had it happened a few seconds earlier, game over. Beekert falls on the ball. It's ours. New England is out of timeout. So the Patriots couldn't have reviewed it. Our ball... Speaker grabs it, runs over to the sideline, game over, we win. But that's not the way it happened. It happened a few seconds after the two-minute warning. So New England didn't have to call for the replay. That was in the league hands. And the reason I share that with you is it has always been my view, and many people say this, it's not unique to me. I didn't coin the view, but it's a game of seconds. And it's just, it's a game of seconds. Seconds matter, and had that play happened seconds earlier, game over. Brady's next pass after the review went for 13 yards to David Patton and two plays for no gain later they added on one more yard to get them to the Raiders 28. Setting up an impossible looking 45 yard field goal attempt through a blizzard by Adam Vinatieri that could send the game to overtime. Well as you watch the TV you can see the snow is moving in the same direction that he is kicking so that means he does have a little help with the wind to get this kick up. Damian Woody. Well the 46 yarder you know, Adam was like, you know, fella, I'm going to need y'all to like really, y'all got to hold it down up front because he was like, I, I basically got to kick a line drive in order for, for for me to have any chance of making this kick. And so, you know, cleared off a path for him to, you know, to make his kick. But we knew that we had, we couldn't give up, we couldn't give up an inch because the difficulty in that kick, it was just, I mean, it was just, it, it was ridiculous. And for him to kick that line drive, a 46-yarder in those conditions, this is not going to be a kick in NFL history that's going to top that. Matt Chatham. Adam was, was definitely the right guy at the right time. Just to, to be able to drive a kick, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to click it and get the real amplitude that you might normally get. You have to drive it. You have to get good footing. You see so many kickers sort of slip and get a, get a bad strike on the ball when it's not a good footing, sort of where your plant foot would be. Ken Walter will hold. The wind is at the back for Vinatieri. It's a 45-yard field goal. Adam is 7 of 12 from this range on the season. Chris Berman. And, you know, it might have been blocked that low, but it was true and almost 
willed itself over the bar. It's the greatest kick in the history of the NFL. I mean, unless you want to throw in Tom Dempsey, which was which was a different thing. I mean, those two were the ones. Not only will uh, Tom Dempsey hits this one, he's got a very slight win at his back. He'll set a National Football League record in addition to winning the game. I don't believe this. It's good! I don't believe it! The field goal attempt was good from 63 yards away! Scott Pioli. It wasn't just Adam. I was thinking about Monty's snap. I was thinking about Ken Walter's hold. And then there's the kick, right? People always think about Adam. And before he gets to kick that ball, there's a lot that had to go right. And um, all... Everyone did their job. Then they, we blocked the edges. You know, we blocked well, too. And I trusted Adam implicitly. 45-yard field goal attempt coming up. Snap, ball down. Kick up on the way. And it is good. It is good. 45 yards. Adam Vinatieri kicks it through the snow. And we're tied at 13 to 13 with 27 seconds left to play. How about that one? Hey, what a gritty football team, dude. Mike Vrabel, linebacker. I think it was a blur. You know what I mean? I think you just think it's kind of a, an absolute blur. Um, all of a sudden, we get the ball back. Adam makes the, the greatest kick in NFL history. I mean, you just can't even comprehend how much snow and the thickness of, of the snow uh, that he kicked that ball from. I mean, I, guys were out there without having to kick it, you know, and trying to run around and, you know, Jermaine Wiggins had a phenomenal day in that snow. Caught a ton of passes and, you know, those were two great efforts. One by Adam and, and, and one, you know, you know Jermaine Wiggins was, wasn't a, a household name, but but it was a guy that came out there and functioned in, in the, the conditions that, that we had that day. Jermaine Wiggins. For me, I was on the field goal protection team, so I was the wing um, the in the wing position, which is kind of like right behind where the tight end is. And so, you know, you're always like, all right, I don't want to be the guy that holds somebody or doesn't block the right guy. And, you know, he gets through and, and blocks the kick. And I forget, it was like Charles Woodson. I forget who else. It was a bunch of plays. And I, I'm like, man, did they put the whole team over here? And luckily, a couple of those guys at the snap of the ball, they slipped because of the field conditions. So it kind of took a little bit of the pressure off me. Um, you know, making sure that I didn't cause no holding or, or I wasn't the guy that, you know, missed the block. And when that kick went through, it was just like, man, you, you know, it was spectacular. Both of those kicks, but the one to send us into overtime, if you go back and look at that one, that one was that one was tremendous. Paul Perillo. They get the ball back, and we're down at the time in the end zone opposite the one that Adam has to kick toward to get the tying field goal. So we're looking basically 120 yards right into the blizzard. I mean, you couldn't see a thing. And Adam kicks the ball, and literally there was silence. Ball down, kick up on the way. And all of a sudden you could hear from the other end just this roar come up, and it went all the way, permeated all the way down the stands to our end zone. It is good, 45 yards, Adam Vinatieri. That's how we found out it was good. Never saw the referee, never saw the ball once it left Adam's foot. Couldn't see a thing. And you just, you heard the reaction. It was like, wow. Hey, what a gritty football team, dude. Joey McIntyre. The Vinatieri field goal to get us into overtime. I was down there. Again, I'm, I'm looking through, you know, the defensive end of the, you know, of the Raiders and these massive bodies. But I see enough. And that ball, at its highest point, might have been 15 feet. I mean, it was such a wobbling kind of, I don't know what it was. And somehow he got it off and somehow it went 40 yards. And But I just remember, wow, how I felt like I could touch it. I mean, it was... It was 15 feet high, and it gets through, and we can't believe it. The place is going crazy. Scott Pioli. I wish I could have seen more, because one thing I remember about that game was we were in, in the old press box. I remember I was standing right behind Ernie Adams the entire game, and the infrastructure at the stadium was awful. So we couldn't have the windows open because it was snowing, and the crowd was literally literally right in front of, the, you know, right in front of us. 
and we were just slightly above them. And the problem was there was no air circulating. So the windows were completely fogged up. And I was sitting there with a towel. You know, I had a job in there to identify personnel groupings and players going coming on and off the field. But I was... I, my job kept getting interrupted because I had to keep wiping the glass for Ernie and one of the other coaches, you know, so we could see out and actually see out to the field. So not only was there the, the blizzard, the blinding snow, but we had this layer of, of fog on the windows. It was brutal. Nick Fitzy Stevens, Brady got the ball back, and then Adam Vinatieri kicked a cylinder block. He kicked a piece of cement 45 yards like, okay, what are the great mysteries of life? Like, how do Twinkies survive 20 years? Where's Flight 380? Who killed Hoffa? And how in the hell did Adam Vinatieri's kick to tie the game cut through a driving wind, snow? You couldn't even see it. And they tie the game. And, of course, it was like one of those things. Like, this was one of those games where if they tie it, they're going to win it. Like, you know they're going to tie it. Like, this is what this team does. They hang on and they find a way. It was the best birthday ever. And the crowd is loving it at Foxborough. This is one that they'll remember for a long, long time. Boy, I'll tell you. With two plays that would never be forgotten happening within the last five minutes of regulation, the divisional playoff game headed to overtime. And this gritty bunch of Patriots, a team that Bill Belichick worked hard in the offseason with Scott Pioli to build a team of character showed us that character here in this fourth quarter tonight, Gino, no matter what happens. The Patriots would win the toss and never give the Raiders another chance. Antoine Smith. You know, we caught a break along the way, and once that call was overturned, it was a sense that, you know, this is meant for us. And we went on to have, you know, to drive down the field, kick a field goal, tie the game up, going to overtime, and we won in overtime, and I think... That just really propelled us, gave us really the confidence that, man, this is our year, and um, I think we, you know, we can have something special. Paul Perillo. And then, to me, overtime was a formality. I, I think it was just inevitable the Patriots are going to win, and that kick went right toward us in the same end zone that we were at. The long of the story is we were down on the field in the blizzard, you know, not really dressed for it because we were working, um, oh, for a good 45 minutes, and there was not a – not a very pleasant rest of the night. Brady would complete all eight of his passes on the overtime drive, with three going to Jermaine Wiggins. Play action fake by Brady, down the middle he goes, caught, first down. Mark Edwards breaks it down to, uh, Jermaine Wiggins rather, breaking it down to the Oakland Raider 35-yard line. Jermaine Wiggins. Well, it, that's that was the great thing about, you know, playing for Belichick and playing for, for the Patriots, and it was like, Going into that game, I didn't expect to have 10 catches. Brady looks to the right, fires to the right, and it is knocked, and it's caught. Knocked in the air and then caught on the rebound at the 15-yard line by Jermaine Wiggins. You know, it's kind of bad weather, and you don't want to, you know, throw these risky throws outside the numbers, and you want to work the middle of the field. It was perfect for me, and it's just, you know, hey, every time you get an opportunity, make sure you catch the ball, stay focused, hold on to it, and can and and pick up what you can, whether it's, you know, third and four and you got to gain five yards. That that was my my job was, I felt like, was to put us in a position where if it was third and five, I was getting six. You know, anything after that was a bonus. Bill Belichick and his staff to decide on it is fourth down and three at the Oakland 27. If they go forward on fourth down and don't make it, then Oakland gets the ball at the 27. Yeah, if see. they punt, they're only going to gain about seven yards in all likelihood, and a field goal would be 45 yards into the win. Well, we can throw all that out the window. Brady's in there and looks like they're going to go for it. Patriots would go for it on fourth and three from the Raiders' 28-yard line as they look to make Vinatieri's game-winning attempt a little bit easier. Fourth and three. Brady drops straight back to throw. Pump fakes, pump fakes, fires, caught! First down! At the Oakland Raider 22-yard line. Boy, I'll the tell catch you, was made on the ground, on the snow, by David Patton. There were two receivers there. It was Wiggins and Patton uh, so close together, but Brady drilled it in there. Antoine Smith would pick up 15 more rushing yards, setting up a 23-yarder for the win. From the 23-yard, from the 13-yard line, a 23-yard field goal attempt for Adam Vinatieri. Lonnie Paxton to snap, Ken Walter to hold. The crowd will tell you whether he makes it or not. Set to go. Snap. Ball down. Kick is up. Patriots win! Patriots win! Patriots win in overtime! 16-13! And it's a mob scene! 
on the snowy field of Foxborough. Oh, baby! Joey McIntyre. They win. I'm on the pylon. And I walk. We're just taking it all in. People going crazy. The players are storming the field. Everybody's filling in. And I walk sort of diagonal from the pylon to like the hash mark at around the 10 yard line. And there's like this clearing. And it's probably from me to the other side, uh, maybe 10, 15 feet. And like suddenly no one's there. And I'm on one side and who walks in but Tom Brady. And he's clearly looking around for Rich Gannon. You know, he's looking for the other quarterback to, to touch base like they do. And I, like, stand back, and I'm like, I don't know what to say. I'm like, good game. And he's like, thanks. And I kind of hit him on the shoulder pads, and, like, he goes off looking for, you know, Rich Gannon. And for John Gruden, an excruciating end to his season. Well, you see the despair all year long. You fight so long. You think you got the game won. A replay brings it back, and then you lose in overtime. Amy Trask. Whenever I talk about this game, I am fiery and I am passionate and I am resolute that it was a fumble and, and I share my feelings um, fiercely. And I hear from people, Amy, get over it. Amy, get over it. It was X number of years ago. But the fun of sports is we don't need to get over things. Look, all the time in life, we need to get over things, real things, hardships the loss of loved ones. Um, there are things in life one does have to get over. But the fun of sports is we can all cling to these things and not get over them as long as we do so in good spirit as good sports and in the spirit of sportsmanship. So whenever I talk about the tough rule on air or if I tweet about it, you know, and I hear back from people, Patriot fans telling me to get over it, I respond, but isn't that the fun of sports that we don't have to get over things as long as when we're talking about them, it is in the spirit of good sportsmanship, which is how I try to do this. And I think I accomplish that. I think I do do this as a good sport. And the sign at the end of Foxborough Stadium just said, revenge is best served cold. Maybe this is a little payback for 1976. You got that right. I was thinking of that. I was thinking of that. So, you know, I have very passionate views about that play, but I don't want that in any way to take away from the credit I give the Patriot organization for what they went on to accomplish thereafter. A lot of teams in that situation might have won that game and not gone on to win the Super Bowl that year or gone on to win the Super Bowl that year and not continued to succeed thereafter. The Patriots deserve a tremendous amount of credit for the dynasty they built. And it starts with the craft and, you know, Bill Belichick. This group of guys that has refused to quit all year long refused to quit in this one. They hung in, they tied it, they win it in overtime. I couldn't be happier for Bill Belichick, his staff, and the players, and the fans. Just a great, great, great win. For Lombardi, even in defeat, he recognized what Pioli and Belichick had put together in New England. Michael Lombardi. You know, I think he, he it was just a, it was just exactly what you would thought it was. It was a team that, that was getting better every single week, much like all of Bill's teams do. And they were able to, to take it and beat the greatest show on turf. And you knew, as they were getting better, especially since the quarterback wasn't showing any demonstrations of being a six-round pick whatsoever, that that was going to be a long, long, tough team, long haul with them for winning. Tom E. Curran. I was having an unbelievably great time, and I sensed that I sensed something prior to people, whether it be with Brady or the team itself. I, I really did feel as if I was not on the ground floor of watching a 20-year dynasty unfold, but it was kind of like, hey, I had the concert T-shirt before they were big. It kind of felt like you knew. Chris Berman. As the Patriots started winning, Bill and I had a I had a tradition that, you know, I worked late on Sunday nights and often they would play at one or four and my shows were until later, but I would leave him a voicemail after maybe not every win, but after a lot of them. We call them red light specials that he'd get in the office at five in the morning or four in the morning or whenever he would get there and he would notice the red light on for a couple of messages. 
he probably never left the building till real late, even on a game day or game night. And we called them red light specials. Well, that game was over at what? 11.30, midnight. So then he's doing his stuff. The Patriots are doing their stuff. It's snowing. I'm in Connecticut doing prime time after the game. And, and, and it's snowing where I am and obviously hard. And now it's about two in the morning. I'm done and packing up. And I want to just leave him my usual message. Congratulations. It was unbelievable, etc. <laughs> I'm going to try to reenact with a bill imitation. So I call it like 205, right? One ring. Patriots. He answers the phone. The bill. Boomer. Well, what do you... I just wanted to leave a red light special. You're still, you're still answering the phone. He goes, where am I going, Boomer? Have you looked outside or something to that effect? And I said, well, I'm not really going anywhere either. I'm only 100 miles away. He goes, I know. And then we talked about the game for about five minutes. I was certainly not calling him to ask him questions, but we had a live discussion at after 2 a.m. about that game. I'll never forget it. Joey McIntyre. What a way to close it out. I mean, after all the ups and downs that, you know, Patriots fans had to close it out with that, with a little luck, you know, no, we never got any luck, you know, that was our story, you know what I mean? The other team always gets the breaks, and, and we finally got the break with the tuck rule, and but we finished, you know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta do something with those breaks, and we finally did that day, and it was just great to be on the field and be a part of that. We're going to the AFC Championship game! How about that? Next time, on 2001, a Super Bowl sound odyssey. The Patriots are off to Pittsburgh to face a familiar foe where their magical season is expected to come to an unceremonious end. Can't get enough Patriots 2001 content? Relive the historic year by following the Patriots Time Machine, a social media account 20 years after its time, following the Patriots 2001 season as if it were happening live. See daily transactions, watch game highlights, and go back in time to the start of the Patriots Super Bowl dynasty. Follow along on Twitter and Instagram at Pat's Time Machine.